Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Let's be magnified. Have you had a good day today? It's been a good day to be in his house, hasn't it? Seen people saved and baptized. And boy, we were taught something this morning, weren't we, from Malachi chapter 1? You know, because we have more seats now, I don't know what the deal is, but we got a big blank area right here in the front. And uh, if you're not careful, you're going to give the preacher complex, all right? When you leave this big old blank area right up front. Now, if the kids were performing tonight, y'all be fighting to get up here on the front row, wouldn't you? And so, oh, wait a minute now. I got quiet in here. Nobody quit laughing on me. Don't look, come on, let's just, let's just talk for a minute. And so uh, I encourage you, don't, just because we have more places to sit, don't miss out on this front row, man. This is where the action's at. And uh, so here we go. If you have your Bible, I want you to take and join with me back in the minor prophet called Malachi. And we're going to pick up in the very next chapter, chapter number two. Chapter number two. Would that be all right with you guys? Anybody come tonight expecting to hear a word from heaven? Amen. There we go. That's some people moving in, filling in a little bit. Thank y'all. I'm feeling a little bit better about myself. And so uh, tonight, let's look at Malachi chapter number two. <clears throat> you remember that Malachi was uh, called a minor prophet. You remember why we call him minor prophet? Somebody tell me why we call it a minor prophet. Length of the book, short, short book, right? Short message. And so uh, not that he is minor in significance, but minor in length, okay? And so uh, Malachi was during the time of Nehemiah, and uh, he was speaking to the children of Israel, the children of Judah and, and Israel, the nation there, the God's people. And this is the last prophetic word we have from God to his people until some 400 years later when the angels uh, announced the birth of uh, both John the Baptist, and, who was about six months ahead of uh, the forerunner of, if you know his name, say it, uh, Jesus. And so we have this, this silent period, but boy, you're talking about a, uh, you know, sometimes last words are, are lasting words. Wouldn't you agree with me? And uh, if you know, sometimes it's the last thing you had to say to somebody for a while, uh, you make those words counts, don't you? And uh, what he's talking to his people, and he's saying that they've got some things backwards. Wouldn't you agree with me this morning? And remember where he started, uh, Malachi chapter 1. He talked about two things that should lead his people to a place of excellent worship. Two things about God. Number one was, somebody help me, the love of God. And if I was to ask you tonight, see if you learned something, and you maybe clear the fog from the nap maybe that you got this afternoon, uh, I would ask you that, what do you know, or how do you know that God loves you? What would you say? Christ died for me, the cross, Romans 5 eight. You ought to put that somewhere. You ought to put it to memory. Uh, God demonstrated his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have an absolute proclamation of God's love. Because of that, no circumstance of the temporary day should ever move me from a place of excellent worship because God is not proving his love to me. God already has proven his love to me, right? And that love doesn't change because of a hard day or a hard circumstance or a diagnosis or death. Uh, his word remains true forevermore and his love never fades or never fades. How many of you are glad of that tonight? So it was two things I said. Number one was the love of God and the second one was... Magnitude. Look at y'all, boy, you're warming up now. The magnitude of God. And we, we talked about the fact that God is a lot bigger than we give him credit for. Wouldn't you agree with me? 
He's a lot bigger than we give him credit for. And I have to tell him sometimes, God, forgive me for feeling like I've got you figured out. I have to tell him that sometimes. I wonder if you ever tell him that. Sometimes I say, God, forgive me because I feel like I've got you figured out. And I'm so small. <laughs> My understanding is so small. And I only know just a little bit about you and a little bit about you that I know is infinitely large. And yet I have not figured out even a small portion of who God is. And so two things, those two things ought to cause me to live in a lifestyle of excellent worship, okay? So he told them, though, right after that, that they weren't. Wouldn't you agree with me? <clears throat> You'd agree that verses 7 through about 10, he scolds them pretty good, doesn't he? And remember, he's speaking to the, does anybody remember who he's talking to? Priests. There you go. Boy, Brad, you just paying attention, wasn't you? And so the, but we said as the priests went, the people went, Right? And so, in essence, he's speaking to them, but also the people uh, as well. And so now we're picking up in chapter 2, and we're going to hear a message entitled, Helping Covenant Response. Okay, now just write those three words down, Helping Covenant Response. Now, this morning, I alluded to the fact that the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the word testament is the same word as the word covenant. covenant. And a covenant is an agreement between two parties, Right? where both parties have responsibility, okay? So write that somewhere. A covenant is an agreement between two parties where both parties have responsibility. Do you know why it is called a marriage covenant union? Both parties have responsibility. Did you know that when you enter a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, it is also a covenant relationship where, uh-oh, where both parties have responsibility. Ha oh, y'all have put it together tonight. Have responsibility. And so tonight, we're going to find out how serious is God about us keeping our end of the covenant relationship, okay? Y'all ready to rock with me? All right, everybody glad to be here tonight? I know you are Sunday night. You wouldn't be here if you weren't glad to be here. You could be anywhere. You'd be on your couch right now, vegging out. And yet here you are, uh, right ready for the Word of God to speak to your heart. And I pray that it would. So well, let me invite you to stand to your feet and let's read God's Word together, okay? <clears throat> Malachi chapter 2. And we're only going to deal with the first nine verses tonight, okay? Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Everybody ready? We can begin to read. Yes, all right, let's go. And now, O priests, this commandment is for, is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name. Now, remember that, was, remember that was what that was all about, chapter one. If you won't hear, and you won't take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your... <laughs> Woo! How many of you think right off the bat, God's pretty serious about our covenant response. Yeah, okay. So uh, he says, yes, I have cursed them already. And the reason God said I've done that is because you do not take it to heart. You don't take me serious. You're ignoring me. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces. Boy, you hadn't heard this uh, kind of talk in a long time, have you? We'll talk about that a little bit more in detail in a minute. Uh, sometimes in, the, in, in, in American theology, we tend to make things a little cleaner and a little neater and a little more uh, politically correct than, than when God speaks directly to us. And we'll talk a little more about that as we go along. The, and he says, I'll spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. 
Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you. Why? What's the purpose of it? That my covenant with Levi may continue. Oh, so God has purpose in his consequences. Yes, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, and the covenant was one of life. Come on, y'all help me. And peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me, and he was reverent before my name. The law of truth was where? In his mouth. And injustice was not found in his lips. He walked with me. Somebody help me. In and equity, and he turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base, because all the people uh, excuse me, before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but you, excuse me, but have sown partiality in the law. You pick and choose which ones you want to do, all right? Let's, Paul, boy, that's some, that's some tough talking there, isn't there? Y'all okay? Everybody all right? Okay, we're going to settle in and, and, and figure out what is God saying, excuse me, what did God say? And then we're going to figure out by the help of the Holy Ghost, what is he saying to us? How do we make application based on what he's already said, okay? That's the work God's given me in the assignment, and we need help to do it, okay? So would you bow your head with me for just a moment? <clears throat> and first, would you ask God strengthen my voice that I might cross the finish line today with the assignment uh, that he's given me for the people of God at Hickory Ridge? Would you do that for me just now? Now, Father, we thank you that as you put together these bodies, there is such awesome design in every cell, now, Lord, I pray, again, you would give these vocal cords enough strength to cross the finish line tonight. And, Father, I pray that it would be pleasing to you that the tone of my voice and the strength of my voice would be in such a way it not distract a single person, but that everyone would hear exactly what you want to say in here tonight. Father, I pray by the gift of preaching and the power of your Spirit that you'd supernaturally overwhelm me now and use me simply as an instrument in your mighty hand. And Lord, as you do such, would you do a work of grace in me and in the life of every person within the sound of my voice? Now, Lord, may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the power of your Spirit, preaching your Word. We pray it now in the wonderful, majestic name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the people of God said together, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Wow, <clears throat> some tough words, wouldn't you agree with me? Uh, has your parent ever talked to you tough? Uh, well, there were times when mom and dad said something to you that you probably couldn't repeat in here. Huh? I can remember times my mom said, I'm going to kill you, you know? <laughs> and I know she wasn't going to kill me. Well, I don't know. I sort of question this sometimes. But the truth of the matter is sometimes we say things that are sort of harsh when we want to have emphasis on it, don't we? When we want people to lean in and really pay attention. You ever notice how you add some verbiage sometimes trying to get your point across? And so I want you to understand that God is very serious about the point that he is getting across to the priest. And of course, it's not just applying to the priest, but also to the people. Now, by the way, if you're having trouble tonight associating with the instruction to the priests, do you understand in the New Testament, the Bible says about me and you, those of us in here who have been born again, we are a royal priesthood. A priesthood is a gathering of priests. 
And so we, like the Old Testament priests who are ministering before the Lord daily, we also are ministering before the Lord daily, not with sacrifices of burnt offerings and animals, but instead a sacrifice of our lives, fully uh, surrendered to his lordship. Uh, so tonight, uh, consider yourself, if you've been born again, and let me be careful, if you've been born again, consider yourself also part of, help me somebody, the royal priesthood. Okay, the priesthood of all believers. Let's dive in. Helping covenant response. Uh, in a res relate covenant relationship between a child and a parent, uh, oftentimes my dad's, uh, part of his responsibility in that covenant was to give me instruction to keep me from being harmed and from harming others. Do you, do you, is anybody following with me? Nod your head. And part of my response to that was to do what he said do because God put him in authority in my life to keep me from uh, facing hardship and difficulty and hurting myself, right? And so sometimes a dad would give me some commands as part of his God-ordained responsibility. We said in a covenant, both parties have responsibility, okay? And sometimes, though, and I know this is going to surprise you because some of you, it's going to be hard for you to believe this about me, but sometimes dad would give me some covenant uh, commands in our relationship, and I would disobey. I know it's shocking. It's shocking. And because of that, Dad would have to take some strategic moves to help me have the proper covenant response. Is anybody tracking with me? Yes, sir. Uh, my grandfather taught him, and my grandfather's, his, his, his mantra, his theme, his MO was, uh, he would say to us, he'd give us a command, and if we didn't respond in a covenant response of obedience, uh, he would always say, now, son, that's going to make your butt sore. And I always remember when I was a kid, Richard, he'd say, I'd open the door. He'd say, stop opening and shutting the door. I'd open and shut the door, open and shut the door. He said, stop opening and shutting the door. And I'd open and shut the door. And he said, it's going to make your butt sore. And I'm thinking, how's this going to make my butt sore? You know, I'm opening and shutting the door. And then I found out. <laughs> and so what Papa was doing at that particular time was helping me have a covenant response, right? Now, God is also the perfect, loving, heavenly father, and he gives us covenant commands, and the same principle applies. He intends to give us principle, uh, covenant commands that would keep us walking in the way, following Jesus, living a life that honors him and makes his name known among the nations. And when we don't, when we, oh, I know it's surprising, sometimes we don't. Just like me when I was a kid, sometimes we don't. And because he's a loving, gracious, heavenly father, he will help us, come on somebody, he will help us have a proper covenant response. Now you understand the title, Helping Covenant Response. Now, the priests have not been honoring their part of the responsibility in the, Levi, in the covenant with Levi, all right? It was a covenant that God made with the, royal, the, the priesthood in the Old Testament uh, that they would live and walk with him and he would give them peace and, and life. And so there was this, but they, but they were not walking in his ways and in righteousness. We saw that from chapter one. So now with that understanding in our mind, let's dive back into the text. And I believe now it's really going to begin to make sense. And my prayer is that it'd come to life for you tonight. And you'd begin to understand the chastening of the Lord and God's helping me and you oftentimes uh, to have a proper covenant response. Now, what we know about God is that he always attempts the first time by gracious instruction. Let me say that to you again. Maybe write it down somewhere. Uh, God's first help to get me and you into a, 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 a right covenant response is to instruct us, or another way would say to warn us. Is, is everybody tracking with me? 
uh, like my grandfather. His first attempt was, uh, don't open the door. Gracious, he said, he could have just got up and whipped me right away, but he didn't do that. He was gracious in giving me a warning. Don't do that again. It's going to make your butt sore, right? And so he gave me a warning. And God, in his magnificent mercy, he, 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 first of all, he will warn us. Like this morning, he gathered us in here, and he sat us down, filled this place up two times. And man, people were, were following through in baptism, and, and people were saved. But what he did, he sat us all down, and he said, I love you enough, now I'm going to give you a warning. Don't give me your scraps. Now, what he's going to do in step two is say, you now have to take that warning and take it seriously. But what I believe, what I believe in my heart, is there a large percentage of people who occupied a chair in this very room this morning who did not take seriously giving God their best. One case in point. I believe if we filled this room up two times and had people in both wings this morning, if everyone who heard me preach God's word that says, don't give me what's left over of your time, I believe we'd have had to get chairs out tonight. I just believe that. I believe if we really understood his command in Hebrews 10, 25, to not abandon the gathering and do it more so as you see the day approaching, I, 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 would, I would, instead of uh, wondering why we're not having to get chairs, I'd, I'd have to be saying, now guys, we can't do church Monday night, Tuesday night also, all right? There's only one. We're going to have to divide this thing up. And so I'm telling you, many of us, just like these priests, have heard the warning, but we will not take it to heart. We say, oh, man, that, that just really touched my heart. It was a great sermon this morning, eye-opening sermon. Oh, one of the best messages I've ever heard really stirred me this morning, but then look at the empty chairs. And watch what he says about that kind of response, okay? Now, let's put our eyes back on uh, verse numbers one through three. Number one in your notes there, there's going to be four of these. Uh, number three is going to have a list of three. Number four is going to have a list of two. How about that? Get your color-coded pins out. Let's have a ball. Roman number one, write it in your notes. Ignoring God's gracious instruction has great consequence. Let me say that to you again. Ignoring God's gracious instruction, because he didn't have to give us instruction, but he does. Why? Because he loves me and you. And he wants to talk us into uh, the right path and the path of blessing and the path of peace and the path of joy. He wants to talk us in, but oh, we're hard-headed. We can't be talked into much, can we? You ever had somebody say, well, you got to go try to talk them into it. How's that work out for you? Huh? And so what we can know by this is what we find in verses one through three. Read with me. And now, O priest, this commandment's for you. So he's, he's done all that he said in chapter one. And now he's saying, if you will not hear. Now listen, there's a difference. There's a difference between listening and hearing, right? And, and the word here literally means to hear and to apply. And so it's the same concept of being hearers of the word and hearers only and not being doers of the word. Does that make sense to you? Uh, he's saying to them, I, I, I'm telling you, you are not giving me your best. You're giving me lame, blind, stolen lambs, your scraps, your scrap time. You, you're going to Facebook first and fitting me in somewhere at the end. Uh, you're leaving your Bible in the sanctuary and you never even open it during the week. Being here three weeks sometimes, we had to try to find folk to pair them up with their Bible. 
And he's saying, you don't, you, you, give, you, you, you put more time with your wife and your husband, and your children, your boss, your, your clients. You, 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 he said, you, you, you're giving me your scraps. And he, listen, God's no dog. He doesn't deserve the scraps. And he said that to these priests. And now he's saying, but you're not listening. That's why the chairs are empty. They weren't listening. It just sort of went in one ear. Come on, somebody. And out the other. I'm not saying every person that's not here. Some of them have great reasons, right? Some can't help it. Some are providentially hindered. I understand that. But I'm talking about the, the majority of folks that heard that this morning say, don't give God your leftover time. Who said tonight, this hour belongs to me and I'm not going back to be fed. And so he says, listen closely. If you will not hear, listen verse 2. And if you will not take it to heart, and I'm not saying to you tonight that because we're in the room that we actually listen this morning, I can't tell that about you and you can't tell that about me, but, but listen, God knows. And here's a statement we ought to write in our notes somewhere, time will tell. Time will tell if we were listening this morning. And God said to them, if you will not hear, if you'll not take it to heart, if you, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, if you keep ignoring me, if you keep ignoring me, if you keep equating my voice to the voice of some of your friends, if you keep looking at me as just some other option, he said, if you keep on resisting giving me glory to my name, I'll send a curse upon you and I'll curse your blessings. Wow, what? I worked hard for these blessings. I've got, you know, uh, dual reserve of blessings. Had a man say to me one time, I had so much stock in WorldCom, I thought, I could, I thought I'd never had to worry about my future and you know the rest of the story. And so he said, I'll curse your blessings. I've, yes, I've cursed them already because you do not take it to heart because you're not taking me seriously. Imagine this. Imagine if you went into the doctor's office this week and the doctor looked at you and said, Dustin, based on the tests that we've run, we know for certain you've got about four days left to live. There'd be some changes, wouldn't there? Some things on your schedule this week get dropped off, wouldn't they? Some things that would be not on your schedule be added on, right? Because you took him seriously. Based on what we heard this morning, if we took that seriously, some things should drop off our, uh -oh, our schedule and some things should be added on. And so we have to ask ourselves tonight, have we, are, are we, do we fit into the category of the group of people that he's saying to me, you, you, you act like you listen, but you're ignoring me. You're not making any drastic changes in your life. See, some of you are looking at me like now, yeah, but I'm just gonna keep rocking like I'm rocking. And God is saying to me and you, hey, I'm graciously instructing you. And I'm not talking to unbelievers in the house tonight, I'm talking to believers. He says, I love you too much to leave you like you are. And I'll do whatever I have to do to help you have a covenant response. So what does he do? He said, I'll send cursing. Now, what's the purpose of the cursing? It's always, it's always about leading a person to repentance. Because repentance is the only key when you and I have not taken him seriously, when we've ignored him, and boy, have I. Can anybody else relate to that? Man, I've ignored the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I've ignored, man, I'm, it's amazing. I said, you know, it's, it's almost more disrespectful to ignore somebody than to tell them no, isn't it? Think about Jonah. He said, I want you to go to Tarshish. Did Jonah ever say no? Mm-mm. He just ignored him. Hopped on the ship, headed the other direction. 
And so we see this unfold in verse number one. In verse number two, he says, I'm going to send a curse because you do not take it to heart. But now listen, let me show you how, what kind of a curse he's talking about. He said, behold, I will rebuke your descendants. And I will spread, I'll tell you, we're going to deal with this word. And listen, it's just, it is what it is. He says, and God says, I'm going to spread refuse on your faces. Now, I went to church and I can't believe I went to Hickory's Brother Terry's talking about rubbing poop on people's faces, you know. But it's worse than that. This word, uh, awful, it's a word, it's a word that means the entrails. It's the entrails and all of the waste, bodily waste that's left over at the sacrificial site from the animals. It's the gut pile. Now, in that gut pile is intestine and, and stomach. It's the entrails, and, and it's also the refuse, the, the, the fecal matter. Is anybody tracking with me? And what it was seen as, by the way, when those things were burned at the altar, those parts were considered unclean, and they were carried outside the camp. They weren't even burnt inside the camp. They were taken outside the camp and burned. Why? Because they were disgraced. They were seen as unclean. Do, do you understand what he's saying to them? He's saying, I'll, I'll deem you as unclean and not even part of, of, of who I am. The picture is somebody with those entrails and, and, and refuse and feces on their faces. But, but the point of the matter is a reproach. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a downtrodden condition. Would you agree with me that, that you and I wouldn't want to find ourselves in the condition where God would put refuse? Somebody said, man, I thought, I never saw this verse in the Bible. My great big idea of God is big granddaddy God, you know, just got shattered. What's the point he's making? It's a drastic statement, and the pointed matter is this. God is serious about his people having a covenant response to his covenant direction. So he's giving them a covenant direction to stop giving him their scraps, and they're not taking him serious. And God says, if you won't, if you just keep listening in one ear and out the other ear, it's not going to get better. Help me, somebody. It's going to get it's going to get worse. You see, if you honor God with your life, God will honor your life. But on the flip side, if you dishonor God with your life, <laughs> something about refuse, God will dishonor your life. And the choice is up to you. But because he is covenant God, he won't cancel the covenant. He will cause consequences to help us have a covenant response. You ever been there? God ever chastised you in a way you say, well, I didn't respond to you, Lord, the way that I should. And now as your child, I see that you're trying to lovingly put me back on the right path. And Lord, I'm repenting and turning back to you. Anybody been there before in your life? Oh, what a sweet place it is to be. Let me move on if I can. So ignoring God's gracious instructions has great consequences. Would you agree with that statement? Say amen. We can move on from the, from the refuse. Okay, we're walking away from the refuse pile, okay? And uh, hopefully never to return. Somebody ought to shout amen. I don't want any part of that on my face, all right? <clears throat> now, picking up, if you will, in verse number four, Roman number two, God's consequences are loving. Now, stay with me. God's consequences are loving. You said, how could it be loving for God to say he's going to put fecal matter on my face? Now, preach, you said we was going to walk away from that. Hang on. I'm going I'm to tie it together. I mean, isn't that a logical question? 
How can I uh, come before you and stand in this pulpit and say to you that God's consequences, even though they're very hard, even though they're very, they're very difficult sometimes, they're loving. Amen. And so let's, let's just look. So in verse number three, he says, Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Verse four, then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant with Levi may continue. What's the whole point of it? So that the covenant will continue. The only reason that I would put you in this condition as an outcast is to bring about repentance so that you would walk in a right covenant response. Do you see, see what he's saying to him? He's not saying I'm doing this to you so that you'll be, you'll be embarrassed and you'll be destroyed. No, no. He's saying I'm doing this so that you'll feel the weight of what it means to walk outside of my, outside of covenant agreement, right? And not responding in a covenant response and I'll do what's necessary to bring you to a place where you say, oh, okay, yeah, I, I didn't respond right. And I, and you get back in line with his covenant and my goodness, what a sweet place it is to walk in covenant union with God. And that's what he's saying to him. So don't mistake, listen, you say, man, rubbing that on somebody's face is love, yes, compared to what God could do. He could cancel the covenant. But he won't cancel the covenant because he's a covenant maker, not a covenant breaker. And because he loves me and you in spite of our many, many frailties, right? Our, our many ways of walking away from him. So his consequences are, in fact, loving, all right? Now let's move forward. Roman numeral three, <clears throat> we're keep catching up on a little time here, right? Roman number three, we said first, ignoring God's gracious instructions has great, help me somebody, consequences. Well, I'm able to use that finger again. Isn't that good? Number two, all right, God's consequences are, they're loving. Did, did you get that? Did everybody get that? Give me a head nod so I know I don't have to, I don't have to develop that anymore. All right, yeah, uh, you can say, yes, even refuse on the face is loving, okay? Because what he's trying to do is preserve the covenant, not break the covenant, all right? Keep us in covenant relationship. Roman number three, God's covenants have great benefit. Now listen to the details of this covenant that they are not walking in, but that God had made with Levi, with, with the tribe of Levi. Re read with me, if you will, uh, verses five and six. Y'all there? All right, my covenant, he says, was with him, was with Levi, uh, one of life and one of Peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. Now, there's a couple things I want to talk about this great benefits of the covenants. Number one is abundant life. And that's the term there, even in the Hebrew. And when you, when you think about abundant life, what do you think? You think John 10, 10, don't you? Where Jesus said, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they have, may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. And so the covenant that he made with Levi was one that had abundant life, but the covenant that he offers man now through Jesus Christ, the son, is abundant life. Uh, I said to Chad a minute ago, where are you at, Chad? I said, uh, Chad and I were hugging it out, leaping out of the baptismal room, and I said, man, I said, how about that? We're talking about Nathan's salvation and how God used, used Chad in, part of, in that, and I hugged him. I said, man, now, now I said, we, we looked at each other, and I said, man, and we used to think we were living. This covenant relationship is abundant life. It's invigorating. It's life-giving. It's not boring. It's not wearisome. It's not burdensome. It causes you to want to get up out of the bed in the morning. You have a greater purpose than just to go earn a paycheck, but that you get to be used by the high king of heaven and invite other people into covenant relationship with God. That was covenant that was sealed by his own son, by the blood of his own son. And it's available to whosoever, no matter who you meet. When you lay eyes on them, they can be in covenant relationship with God, if they will. So abundant life. Let me give you that John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. Somebody help me. And that they may have what more? 
abundantly. But the other benefit, great benefits of his covenants are peace. So he says, I, I, I made this covenant with Levi. It was one of life and it was one of peace. And so when I think about this covenant of peace, I think about Jesus's words in John 14 and 27, when he said, you see it with me. Come on, somebody help me. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's a covenant relationship that you can have with God and not the world. Now, let me say this. You can't have a covenant relationship with the world and with God at the same time. Oftentimes, you and I walk as if we're in a covenant relationship with the world, meaning the world has certain things it wants me to do, and it has responsibilities it'll give to me if I do those things, and vice versa. But let me say to you that the only covenant that has life and peace is the covenant that God offers to me and you through his son, Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing like the peace that God provides. I've seen it recently in the many numerous funerals that have sort of stacked up here recently in, in our faith family. And I've watched over these, uh, working on 19 years now, uh, the faces of people who've lost children and, and, and spouses and, and, and cousins and brothers. And, and I've watched as the peace of the covenant between them and God has carried them through to the other side. It is the most supernatural, amazing thing these eyes have ever witnessed. And every time it builds my faith a little bit stronger. It's, it's part of the covenant. It's God's part of the covenant. It's his responsibility to provide what? Li abundant life and peace. Aren't you glad? So stop trying to find it in the world. And stop trying to find it in the best job and the most money and all those covenant agreements, uh, they won't last and they can't hold up. Um, find it, my friend, in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Let me move on and say finally, in verse number six, uh, this, these covenants with great benefit, they have abundant life, there's peace. But number three, the third thing in the list is holiness. <clears throat> now this is gonna have uh, some responsibility on our part in the covenant. You ready? This is yes. Well, y'all zoned out on me there for a minute. All right, here we go. Look with me in verse number six. So he said, this covenant that I had with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. And God said about Levi, he didn't treat me like some other person in his life. He didn't treat me like a partner. He didn't treat me like a co-pilot. He didn't treat me like just another voice out there in the wilderness crying. <clears throat> verse 16, excuse me, verse number six. The law of truth was where? In his mouth. And injustice, or the word literally is unrighteousness, was not found on his lips. He didn't talk about anything unrighteous. He didn't speak about anything. He didn't make jokes about things that were unrighteous. No corrupting word proceeded from his mouth. He walked with me in peace and equity. In other words, uh, his relationship preceded him. There was a equ relationship equity, if you will, because Levi, on his end of the covenant, was walking with God. And his walking with God didn't fade away when he was in the world. He didn't change what he talked about. He didn't change what he watched on TV. He didn't, I know he didn't have TV. You, you tracking with me. He didn't change what music he listened to when he was with different groups of people. And so you, you began to see what he's saying here is that my part of the covenant with him was life and peace. And his, his covenant response was holiness. 
I want to ask you a question. Have you responded to God's covenant of life, abundant life and peace, with a life lived out in holiness? Now, remember, holiness is not being good. It's so much more and better than excellent. Remember, over the years, we've talked about if there was a list, and we talked about bad being at the bottom, and maybe uh, neutral being in the middle, and then good being about halfway, and then excellent being at the top. You don't know many excellent people, right? And then holy would be on a chart, not even on the screen. And people would say, now, preacher, I, I thought you said that we are saved by grace through faith, and we certainly are. But when we are saved by grace through faith, we enter a covenant relationship with God. And our responsibility then is to allow Him, as we draw near to Him, to produce holiness in how we think and how we live. It's always interesting to me that once a person gets saved, they start asking me questions. Does that mean I'm going to have to stop living with my boyfriend? I said, wait a minute, I didn't bring that up. I didn't bring that up. You know what happened? The Holy Spirit started stirring holiness. Usually when somebody asked me, they said, now listen, now that I'm saved, does that mean I've got to stop getting drunk? I said, no, I didn't bring that up. But here's what I usually answer that question with, because you can imagine how many times I get that question. I usually answer it with a question. The question is this, if it's questionable in your fallen mind, how unholy must it be in the holy mind of God? So that sort of stops our questions, doesn't it? And instead of trying to ease up to the line of sin to say, how close can I get to this and still say that I'm okay? Y'all got a little nervous I was going to fall there, didn't you? I did, I did too, actually. I had a little flashback. I'm going to scoot back a little bit, okay? And uh, that's the way we ought to respond, huh? To holiness. Because I've, crossed, I've creeped up on the line and I have fallen on my face in sin before. Has anybody else, can anybody else relate to that? And so now as I walked to the edge, I felt a little tingling in my hand. Huh? I start backing up. Shouldn't I then also, when I find the moment of temptation, I can recall the fall and the consequences. Shouldn't I then also quickly back away from the edge? You see, this idea of holiness is our covenant response to God's abundant life and peace that he bought, he purchased, he provided with his son, with the blood of his own son. Now, again, I want you to understand what he says to them is if you won't respond that way, if you're mine, I'll help you. I'll help you. All right, let's read on just a little bit further. So we've seen that God's covenants have great benefit. And finally, number four, can y'all believe we've gotten close to the end? Yeah, because we're about out of time. Roman numeral four, God's priests have impact. Now, who in here is a priest? By a show of hands, who in the room is a priest? Okay, all right, some of y'all got it. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special. I like the, the old King James says, peculiar, because y'all are kind of peculiar. Matter of fact, you're a little bit weird, and so am I. And weird means different, and, and different is good. And I want to encourage you to live out your personality in holiness. Don't, don't change your personality Strive for holiness, but don't change who you are and the things that you like to do as long, as long as they're not harmful and sinful. And may you and I begin to appreciate the uniqueness of others around us, right? So let's conclude here, if we can, by the fact of the matter that priests have impact. So if we agree that those of us who've been born again in here are, are, are royal priests, right? We're part of the priesthood. Then what he's saying is you and I have impact, right? Now that impact can be positive, 
or that impact can be negative. All right, let's, let's check it out, all right? <clears throat> Read with me in verse number seven through nine. Okay, y'all there? Let me get there. Okay, now I am. <clears throat> For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is, y'all help me, the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Old Testament, you had designed priests. New Testament, we're the royal priesthood. So then, you and I are messengers of God. Do you believe that? The Word of God says it this way. Know you that you are ambassadors of Christ. Messengers. Messengers. Everywhere you go. I got a good friend named Gerald Simmons. He'll say this. He'll call you. When you meet him for the first time, he'll call you preacher. And you'll say, I'm not, I'm not a preacher. I, I'm not a preacher. And he'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're preaching. He'll keep calling you preacher. Till finally you say, I'm not a preacher. Why are you come preaching? He say, oh, yeah, you're preaching something. And that's the point. Now, what he's saying to them is they've not been honoring the law, okay? They've not been honoring the law. But Levi did honor the law. Okay, and notice what he says at the end of verse number six. He says, because of the way he walked with truth in his mouth, truth, now remember, truth can only come from who? Come on, come on, say it like you mean it. Can only come from God. Absolute truth can only come from God. So what is he saying when he says truth was in his mouth? God's words were in his mouth. Okay, and what he says is, because of the fact that he stood for the truth and he preached the truth and he taught the truth, the end of verse six says his life had impact. Well, how, how did it have impact? Somebody help me. End of verse six. Come on, let's don't mumble. Say it like you mean it. And turn many away, his, their lives had impact because they stood for the truth, because they preached the truth, because they stood for the truth, because they taught the truth. <clears throat> he said the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. And people should seek the law from his mouth. You should keep the truth. You and I should be a source where people in the world come to us and find truth for marriage and truth for raising children and truth for the single life and truth for the Christian business and truth for, are you anybody tracking with me? We ought to be the source. Who, you, you preach it? No, we, the priests of God, the royal priesthood, those of us who've been born again, and we can't compromise on it. Because if we compromise on it, we become a liability. So I wanna talk about two, two comparisons here under God's priests have impact. Number one, some of God's priests are assets. Okay, assets. Now you know that's to the positive. You tracking with me? Yes, come on, y'all gotta stay with me. I'm gonna finish this thing strong, all right? Assets. Now, how are we assets to the kingdom? Well, the word of God says in 1 Timothy chapter three in verse number 15, all right? Uh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 3, yes, in verse number 15. Now, I want you to look at it with me. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to, y'all help me, conduct yourself in the house of God. So there's some covenant responsibility, which is the church of the living God. Now, how does he describe the church? The pillar and ground of the truth. Not the government, not Tate Reeves, not Joe Biden, not Rankin County School Systems, not Mississippi State University, not Harvard, not Yale. The church is the pillar of truth. Now, the church is not this building. This building is simply a place for us to gather out of the elements that we might find a place to be discipled, encouraged, challenged, grow, and serve. The church, my friend, 
as those of us in here who have been born again. You and I are supposed to be the pillar. Now, the word pillar is like a column. I, I think about on this road construction, I, th I think about uh, Brother Joey and some of those uh, uh, tests that you've done, inspecting when they drive those pylons, those pylons deep down into the bedrock of the soil. Why? Because the pillar holds its ground. It doesn't compromise. And that's what he's saying that you are supposed to be and I'm supposed to be pillars of the truth. Now listen, it doesn't matter if our husband disagrees or our wife disagrees or our children disagree, we are still supposed to be, listen, gracious, yes, but uncompromising in what we know the Word of God to say. Uh, so many times I've watched in my young life, and I still consider myself to be young, that people will compromise what they know the Word of God to say if their children fall into a certain sin or loved one or somebody that they know. And all of a sudden, something that they know the Word of God has preached against and taught against is not that big a deal. Maybe, maybe the Bible doesn't say what it really says about that particular subject because, oh, I love my son, my daughter, I love my cousin, I love my mom, I love my daddy. And so just because they've got a, a girlfriend outside of marriage, it can't just be wrong just because the Bible says it should be one man and one woman until death do we part. And my friend, I want to challenge you as a parent, as a mom, a dad, a granddad, a, a, a grandmom, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle. Your family doesn't validate truth. God validates truth. And I want to encourage you, listen, as the church, and I don't know who all I'm talking to, but as the church, you and I have got to be the uncompromising pillar that says, I love you where you are, but here's what the truth is. Okay? Now, let me move forward just a little bit. So that's an asset, you see. That's when the priest has a positive impact. Uh, let me say it this way. That's when the priest has a kingdom impact. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to have a kingdom impact. I want to know with the resources of God, the church, the spirit, and the word, I want to know that those resources he's planted in me, I want to know there's been some return on his investment, right? I want to know that when I get there, there's some, there's, some, there's some thanks to be shared with him in my life by what he's done for me and what he's given to me, okay? So that's the positive impact. But, but listen, <clears throat> priests can also be liabilities, okay? Now, let's read verse number eight. Are you there? Verse number, is everybody learning something tonight? Boy, now that chapter has a whole different meaning to you, doesn't it? Huh? I love the Word of God. <clears throat> verse number, I'm gonna read eight into verse nine. But you have departed, excuse me, verse seven, for the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth or her mouth. We're talking about a New Testament context from our mouths. <clears throat> for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now, verse 8, here's the negative impact. But you have departed from, from the way. And because you've departed from the way, now what have they done? Remember, uh, it's going to be in direct context to what Levi had done. It's going to be the opposite. So the truth was in his mouth. The truth wasn't in their mouths. And equity was in theirs, and so dishonesty was in their mouths and in their lives. Righteousness was, in Levi's life, unrighteousness. They were giving God. Can you imagine stealing from your neighbor and then offering that stolen lamb to God as your sacrifice? And do you, do you see the point he's making here? And you've departed from that. And, and, and so listen, it hasn't just affected you. Listen to what he says to him. Verse number eight. You have caused many. Y'all reading with me? Verse number eight. But you have departed from the way. You have caused, help me somebody. Many to stumble at the law. I wonder how many people stumble because of the way you and I live out the commands of our Savior. 
I, I was thinking about this today. I wonder how many people watched me early in my faith not make disciples who are now not making disciples because they saw me not make disciples. Oh, y'all looking at the carpet. Y'all say, why did y'all bring that one up? Because I've told you the burden of my heart is the greatest sin of the church in our generation is disobedience in the area of the personal discipleship. Not alcoholism, not pornography, not drugs, not adultery, but disobedience in God's command to make disciples. And the majority of people in here probably fit that category. I don't know. And to continue living in that disobedience is to cause others to stumble. Your kids are watching you not make disciples. So what do you think your child's gonna do as they watch you not make disciples? You know what they're gonna do when they get older? Not, you've caused them to stumble in the law. And I've caused them to stumble in the law. And so you and I have to understand that it's not just our lives that we're affecting because we're a royal priesthood. And the fact of the matter is that some of us have not even ever really understood that we now are New Testament priests, ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ wherever we go, in our homes, in our workplace. Do you see now why he's so serious? That he would say to them, you're, not, you're, not, you're ignoring me. And li listen, to what, remember where he started in, in, in the beginning of chapter two? He says, you can't ignore me. Didn't he say that to him, basically? You can't ignore me. If you keep ignoring me, you'll find yourself in a worse situation than you could ever imagine. Why? Because God's mean. No. Because God wants me and you to live in covenant response so that we have covenant blessing. Come on, somebody. And we have the blessing of abundant life and peace and all those things that he provided. In the covenant. He's not a covenant breaker. He's not going to steal that away. So he does what's necessary to, to steer us back onto the covenant response. Oh, the whole message tonight has been about helping us to a covenant response. Isn't that good? Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God is a patient and loving and kind God. But at the same time, I'm thankful that when I don't respond to his gracious instruction, he'll do whatever's necessary. Amen to bring me to a place of obedience. Let me close with this verse, Romans chapter one and verse number 18. Listen to what he says. The liability, the priest that is a liability to the kingdom is one that has compromised the truth and leads others to do the same by example. Okay, does that make sense? Uh, I get drunk, so people who watch me, they, get, they wanna get drunk. Uh, I lose my temper, people that watch me, they wanna lose their temper. I overeat, people that hang out with me wanna overeat. Is, that, is everybody, y'all going with me? So that's a, that's a priest that's a liability to the kingdom, okay? Now, read with me Romans 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why? You reading with me? Put the end of that verse up, let them read it. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, suppress the truth. What is he talking about? Hiding it. So there's a truth in the gospel. And the truth is when I receive righteousness, I'm going to live righteously. Somewhere we've suppressed that truth and say, if I receive righteousness by grace, I'm going to heaven, I can do whatever I wanna do. That's suppressing or holding down or quieting the truth of his word and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Now, let me be clear to help you to see, I'm not preaching tonight that if you be good enough, God will let you in heaven has nothing to do with works-based salvation. He's talking to those who are his, and he's saying that we're in a covenant. God has responsibilities in the agreement. You and I have responsibilities in the agreement. Remember when Jesus said, follow me, right? 
That's his, he made it possible for us to follow him. Our responsibility is to follow him. And when we don't, God will help us. He'll send us gracious instruction. And oh, listen, the older I get, the more I try to say, Lord, help me respond to the gracious instruction to keep some of these knots off of my head because I've got a lot from over the years. May it be the same for you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the simplicity of your word. I thank you, Lord, that the Old Testament is as relevant today as it ever was. Master, I thank you tonight that that each of us needs to take a moment, slow down, and consider have we really listened? Is there the possibility, God, help us to evaluate, is there the possibility that we've ignored you? That this morning you gave us a gracious warning. And tonight and every moment preceding, we have the opportunity to hear you and respond or to ignore you. God, I pray in the stillness of this moment, we'd consider the great consequences of ignoring your gracious instructions. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you've never been born again. You've been born once. It's your little birthday that we celebrate once a year, but you've not been born again a second time. Jesus said you have to be born of the Spirit. He said you must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. So, precious friend, I want you to know the only way to be born again is to turn away from your sin and turn unto Jesus. Trusting that the Son of God left the throne of heaven, came down to this earth, lived his life as the God-man, went to the cross of Calvary, was beaten, crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he rose again. What a magnificent display of love. And tonight, if you'll place your hope and trust in Him, tonight, if you'll turn away from being the boss of your own life, if you'll turn over the reins to King Jesus, He'll save you. Somebody tonight needs to be saved. And Jesus stands ready, willing, and able. You'll have to turn away from some things. You'll have to turn unto Christ. But His promise is that He'll save you. What is it that you've been ignoring God about? What is it that you know is against the principles of his word? You've just been ignoring him and you've, you've failed to realize that he's graciously warning you. He's graciously warning you. He's trying to keep from avoiding taking it to step two. He's a loving God. He'd rather forgive than punish. Wouldn't you turn tonight? Wouldn't you say, Lord, I've been listening. I've been ignoring. I'm turning away. I repent, Lord. I'm, I ask, please forgive me for ignoring you. I know what you've been saying. I'm going to turn away from that right now. Give me strength, God. Now, I want to say that the altar is open. I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me to make room for those who may want to come down. Brother Gerald's already down front. Brother Jimmy and Miss Renee are down there as well. They'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. I'll be down myself in just a moment. Maybe there's something you just want to come down and talk to the Lord about. Maybe there's some certain somebody God's got on your heart. You want to come pray for him. Maybe you just would come and pray for Brian and the team that's on their way to Atlanta and then in the morning early on the way to Ethiopia. You might just come to the altar and pray for them. But this will be a special time for you to come to the altar and just bow before the high king of heaven, just you and him. Or take one of our hands if you'd like for us to pray for you and encourage you. We're here for you. Let the Lord lead you. Father, I pray you take this time of response and God do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.